Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the George Lazenby to my Sean Connery. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how the devil are you good, sir? I'm very good. It's been a busy few days for me. Been to see James Bond. Went to see went to see a band in Nottingham last night. So I'm uh, I'm pretty pretty worn out, but I'm here. I'm I'm, I'm firing. I'm good. Well, that's a lot more exciting than you said you're like yeah. on Thursday's episode <laughs> uh, on the show today from the Blackburn Podcast Rovers Chat. The name is Hildred Ryan Hildred. How the devil are you, good sir? <laughs> I like that, Ryan. That's good. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Not bad at all. Are you okay? I am. Superb, thank you. Also with us, making his second-tier debut, is Frost, Brady Frost, from the Huddersfield podcast, and he takes that chance. Brady, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. That's probably the best intro I've, I've had on something in a long time. <laughs> no, no problem at all. Yes, the number one championship podcast is back to die another day. For us, the world is not enough, so for your eyes only, we're going to go through all the championship games from the past weekend, talk about some of the news from the past few days, and finish off with a Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. And we'll keep doing it because there's no time to die. Another incredibly entertaining weekend in the championship. Loads of goals and also loads of rain. It seemed to be hammering it down at every single game in the championship this weekend. We'll start off with things at Bloomfield Road, where Blackpool met Blackburn, the Gary Bowyer derby, as it's more popularly known. It was Blackpool who ran out the 2-1 winners. Ryan, tell us about the game. Yeah, a bit of a disappointing one for Rovers. It's uh, largely been a good season so far for us. We've had a good start, but um, hands down the worst half of, of football that Rovers have had this season in that first half. Um, you know, our defensive injuries to Daryl Enihan and Ryan Ayambi were really found out yesterday. Um, and we did end up with Tyler McGlore at right back, who, you know, he's a young lad and he's just not good enough at championship level. So felt a bit sorry for him, actually, because he was blowing after 20 minutes and... Blackpool just really exploited it down that left-hand side. All of our problems were down our right-hand side. Blackpool were getting in down that left. Shane Lavery set his stall out really early on in that game, and they just knew we were there to be taken. And, yeah, it was a better second half from Rovers. I don't think we did too much tactically different in the second half. I think it was just a bit more fight, a bit more grit, a bit more determination. We obviously got the goal back, and I think Blackpool in the end deserved the win, despite, you know, a much improved second half performance from us. But yeah, disappointing to have two defeats on the spin now, um, including to Brady's Huddersfield, um, obviously just before the international break. Yeah, spot on. Guess who scored for Blackburn again, listener? Yeah, that's right. It's the only person who ever seems to score for Blackburn, Ben Brereton Diaz. Ryan, we've loved talking about the BBD story this season, but if I could take a rather cynical look at things, where on earth would Blackburn be this season without Ben Brereton Diaz? Yeah, um, well, it's the same as where would we be without Adam Armstrong? Where would we be without Bradley yeah. Dack? You know, we've had this in seasons gone by. And yeah, you're absolutely right. He's just a man transformed and um, really importantly scoring those goals. And yeah, I don't think we've necessarily battered teams this season. We're certainly having a lot less possession this season and we're not creating a bucket load of chances. So the fact that Diaz, as we'll call him, uh, is sticking the ball in the net. Obviously, it's leading to some good results for us. So, yeah, vitally important that he's obviously found his feet. And um, and he, he just looks a striker now. You know, I, I think he's scoring strikers' goals, if that makes sense, this season. The one yesterday, he's got himself in the box, and it's a brilliant cross from John Buckley. Hull at home, he's absolutely arrowed a finish, you know, with power and pace into the corner. These are strikers' goals. Millwall away, gets up for a header right down into the bottom corner. 
he's scoring goals that I've never seen him really score before. You know, the sign that he's really matured into a good striker now. So, yeah, really important player for us. Yeah, Blackpool's marvellous form continues. And one man in particular who deserves a lot of praise for that, Justin, is Shane Lavery, who got on the score sheet for the third consecutive game. And dare I say it, is looking like one of the signings of the season. Yeah, he's obviously a free transfer as well, wasn't he? He's, he's, he's proving to be a great, great pickup. And uh, like Ryan highlighted, he, they were exploited on on the Blackburn's right. That left hand side uh, was was just tearing it apart. It was a shame that Lavery went off after twenty two minutes. So I hope his injury is not too serious. Um, but for me, his his movement uh, is reminiscent to sort of Thierry Henry, where he picks the ball up on the left hand side. I'm not comparing him to Thierry Henry. Please don't come at me. I was going to say, <laughs> but you know, he, his goal last week, he picks the ball up on the left hand side and he, he comes across the defenders and he slots in at the keeper's far post. His, his goal was slightly different yesterday, but he's still got that movement which is so hard to pick up he's got that burst of pace which gets him in front of players and his combination with Keshi Anderson is um, as as Ryan pointed out is, is tearing uh, right backs apart this season as I say I hope his injury is not serious because he's a key player for, for Blackpool Ryan despite two straight losses for Rovers you're sitting in a rather healthy eighth place in the table where are you casting your eyes for the remainder of the season? It's just as many points on the board, Ryan. You know, I had us 18th this season um, just because I felt we was in a lot of transition, you know, losing Adam Armstrong, losing Harvey Elliott back to Liverpool on loan. You know, that's a lot of goals and a lot of assists out of the side. Um, We do not have a lot of squad depth, as yesterday proved and as the Huddersfield game proved as well. So that, I think, is going to ultimately, you know, be found out this season as it has done in the last two games. So for me, even though we're in eighth, even though we've been in that top six, I just want to get the points on the board so that we're kind of, we've got the mid-table safety. And, you know, if you're going into February and March and you're safe and you know you're not going to go down, then maybe you start thinking about, oh, can we do a Barnsley and get in there in, in the last hurdle? But um, no one's getting excited as a Rovers fan. It's It's been nice to, to have this nice surprise, but we're 11 games in and, you know, we just want to stay up and, you know, just we need, well, two things need to happen. We need contract signing because we've got Lenihan, Rothwell, Nyambi, uh, and Brereton, who need to sign a new contract. And Tony Mowbray hasn't signed a new contract yet. So there is a bit of uncertainty around the club at the moment. So we need those things sorting before we're even thinking about, you know, promotion and playoffs and all of that. Yeah. I was very interested to see that uh, Ben Brereton-Diaz was a 1,000 to 1 to score 20 <laughs> goals or more at the start of the season. And now he's on 10 already after, what is it, 11 games. It's... Incredible. I think Skybet are officially bobbing themselves, should we say, because there are a lot of people that back that at those silly prices. So um, there's a lot of money involved. Yeah, I, I wish I was one of those people that got on that because that is a ridiculous price in hindsight. Uh, let's move on to a game which wasn't a thriller. Luton nil, Huddersfield nil. On the balance of the game, I reckon you're quite relieved, Brady, to have got a point from it. Yeah, I think particularly first half, um, we've seen that with Huddersfield quite a few times, um, go away from home and uh, just kind of hanging on first half. Um, and I think it was the same with Luton, obviously, they they hit the post. Um, I, w- I was expecting it to be a tough game because um, a lot of people underestimate Huddersfield and like previously, obviously, when we went up and it's the same with Luton, they're a well-drilled side, you know, Nathan Jones and, um, and the squad, it just seems like a right fit and they're always difficult. We've not actually beat them since they, um, you know, came up to the championship in 2019, we've never. So I knew it was going to be a tough game, and um, yeah, the weather played a part. I mean, the um, 
you know, I didn't go to the game, but watching it, um, the camera lens was uh, wiped quite a few times during it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, it wasn't a classic. Um, I'm sure you uh, were hoping for some some goals when I was going to come on to this. But, uh, yeah, no, it wasn't the best. Um, I think we could have nicked it as well. You know, I thought we were a lot better second half. Um, Sonani had a couple of good shots and Toffolo kind of blazed over. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think a draw is a fair result. Uh, you know, when you look at how we were last season, um, we... If it wasn't for Wednesday, you know, that terrible run we had and their points deduction, we would have been relegated, you know, um, similar to how Hull were a couple of seasons ago. So, it's um, you know, it's important for Huddersfield this season to just kind of keep having the points. Obviously, we had that great game against Blackburn. That was exciting for because both sides went for it. Um, we did here, but, you know, it's just about getting points and um, a, a bit like what Ryan was saying, just making sure we're, we're in the division and we're not looking over our shoulders in kind of February, March time. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned about uh, them wiping the lens because anyone who's been to Kenilworth Road and has seen what it's like when you're the main cameraman, what they have to stand on, <laughs> that cameraman is taking their own life into their own hands whenever they go up there and the weather's not very nice. Uh, Amari Bell missed a glorious chance in the first half for Luton and they had a couple of other decent chances too. Just in Luton not putting away their chances is a bit of a shock really, isn't it? It seemed to happen all midweek, didn't it? Probably should have saved one or two for, for this game. But I think that's the only thing that's going to hold Luton back this season because they've got all the ingredients to be a very good side. It's just being clinical consistently. And um, as you say, if they're missing big chances at key points, they're going to make it hard for themselves. And they did here. And as, as Brady said, Huddersfield could have nicked it. And you know, to, to, to come out of this game in it with a defeat would have been an absolute, you know, from their perspective, a travesty because of how the game went. So, yeah, frustrating from Luna's perspective, definitely. Brady, let's ignore this game because there isn't really much else to talk about. <laughs> Huddersfield Town, I would say your boys are easily the most unpredictable side in the league because each game this season, they're either very impressive and fun to watch or rather lacklustre and easy to take heart. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, no, completely. I think it's... Um... It's kind of the same for some fans. We don't really know what we're getting. I mean, apart from, um, you know, like recently we saw Thomas and his set pieces. Um, we know we can get a good chance from that. But it's the, it's the same. I think it's been quite interesting over the summer because I've got to be honest, I did have my doubts about Corbran. I think it's only, only natural given the run we had the second half of last season. Um, we can see the most goals in the division. And the one thing I would give him credit for is we, you know, we are defensively a lot, a lot sounder. You know, we would have... Last season, we would have lost that game. Um, so I think the fact, even if we are hanging on, the fact that we can hang on, um, you know, speaks a lot. And I think um, someone, again, probably not a sexy sign-in, but um, I think Tom Lees, who we who we got in from Wednesday uh, on a free, I think he, I've been really impressed with him. Uh, not sure he's got the legs to maybe play all season, but when he's come in, um, you know, he's looked really solid. And I think um, you always want to look at the signings towards the uh, attacking side of the pitch. But I think he and Matty Pearson from Luton have um, made us look a lot more solid. And that's good because, you know, in away games, we'd have some interesting ones like Stoke, where we'd get um, battered like 5-2 or whatever, or same with Blackburn last season, actually. Um, but now I'd probably take a nil-nil rather than a 5-2 loss, for sure. Well, the town are sat just a place ahead of Blackburn and a place outside the playoffs. Same question I asked Ryan then. Where are you casting your eyes this season, Brady? Uh, well, at the start, I think definitely just n not anywhere near the relegation. You know, it's, um, I can't remember. Well, it's probably 16, 17 when we got promoted last time. We weren't in a relegation battle. So 
as long as we're comfortably mid-table, I don't think anything's changed that um, from my perspective, you know, because we know what this league's like. I mean, you know, classic talking about this game, Luton, Huddersfield, we both our teams have the highest XG in midweek and then it's, you know, nil-nil. So the, it is an unpredictable league. I think we saw how injuries affected it. Um, I think as long as we have a, you know, a season of progress where we're, you know, in comfortable mid-table, we have some eye-catching wins, you know, and we don't get, battered I'd be quite happy with that as long as we can see some progress because I think the issue with Corbran is if we lose two or three on the spin everyone's going to cast their mind back to last season and that's the last thing we want I mean when we lost to Swansea last week people were like always been found out and then obviously we had that thrilling game against Blackburn and everyone's you know happy again so it's um we just need stability not the not the most exciting thing but I think given uh given the kind of hairy moments we've had the last few seasons I would take that Ryan and Brady. Cheers for now, chaps. We'll come back to you both a bit later on. Play Simon Grayson's Hate for Late because now me and Justin are going to go around the grounds and we'll kick things off at the Coventry Building Society Arena where the Sky Blues beat Fulham 4-1 for the Cottages. It's just two wins from six, which is quite the contrast to how they were at the start of the season. Matt Barclare is from Fulham Focus and this really was a game of two halves, wasn't it, Matt? Yeah, it, it was a game of two halves, but in all honesty, in the first half, we were... We were functional, if not spectacular. I think we had one shot on target in the entire match. And of course, that wasn't even our goal because that was an own goal. Um, I, I kind of thought after the first half that we'd nick a, a goal early in the second half, then go on to control the game and see it out. But we just we were all over the place in the second half. Defensively, we were shocking, got carved open time and time again. And Coventry were ruthless. And of course, they thoroughly deserved the victory. You can't say when you've lost 4-1 that... You know, you don't deserve the win, but it's strange that Marco Silva left out Jean-Michel Serri and um, also Tosin from from, um, from defence. So I think fingers of blame are going to have to be pointed at the manager for this one. Yeah, two wins from six after previously at the start of the season, looking like you were going to steamroll or anyone that got in your way. What's changed recently? You know, that's a really difficult question because aside from Blackpool and yesterday... The the other games we've played, we've created loads of chances. I mean, we lost at home to Reading, but in all honesty, we, we should have absolutely smashed Reading that day and we just weren't clinical enough with our chances. Um, but it just seems that we're one of those sides who does have one of those types of performances in us every now and then where, you know, things just don't click. Um, I think the other problem as well is that we're not a ready-made Premier League side. This side, these these players have been in the Premier League before and are very quickly discarded and replaced with better options when, when we've been promoted previously a couple of times and then they just come back in for the Championship. So you know what it's like with Championship players as well. They're they're hot and cold. You know, that they've all got a, an amazing performance in them, but they've also got an absolute stinker of a performance in them. And it's that consistency that makes them a Championship player rather than a Premier League player. Yeah, one observation I've made recently is that, well, you're quite right in saying you're still creating more chances than the opposition in most games this season. You are starting to give away quite a few chances as well to teams that you previously weren't doing that to. Um, obviously, Coventry had plenty of chances on Saturday. Um, but do you get what I mean defensively? Is that a bit of a concern for you? I'm not too concerned about the defence. Strangely, as I said, Marco Silva took Tosin out and played Alfie Mawson yesterday. So perhaps he he saw things that 
he wanted to tighten up at the back and thought that he needed to change the players around a bit to, to do that. And obviously it really massively backfired. But every team gives chances away. But the really, really good defences just keep those keep those chances to a minimum and have a decent enough keeper to, to keep you in games. And I think there's a question mark over Paolo Gazzaniga in, in goal at the moment. We've got um, Marek Rodak waiting on the bench, uh, ready to replace him when he when he drops the ball. And I've, I've seen nothing from, from Gazzaniga that, that makes me think he um, he's a better choice at the moment. But yeah, we're, we're giving chances away. And as long as we're creating them up the other end, I don't care, you know, to, if we win the game like 5-1, 5-2, whatever, 4-2, then fine. But when you're creating no chances and giving, giving away chances like we did yesterday, then, you know, it's, it's a worry. I don't know where we go from here. But hopefully over the international break, Marco Silva will shake things up and we'll come back out fighting against QPR. Thank you, Matt. Sky Blues Fans TV asks, were Coventry that good or Fulham that bad or a combination of the two? Just in pitch. I think it was a combination of the two, wasn't it? Because uh, Coventry were ruthless. Uh, they, they sensed... A little bit of vulnerability in Fulham, and Fulham. I mean, you saw with the the, the first goal it was comical, wasn't it? Um, there was no communication. There was mistakes in the back line. It was just not good at all. And um, yeah, I think Fulham Fulham were bad. Coventry were very very good. So yeah, a perfect perfect storm of uh, of a three points there for for Coventry. Yeah, I'd agree with you, but it was quite spectacular how much Fulham went into meltdown in the second half of this game. The Tim Ream getting tackled by Josh Onomar was not ideal after just two minutes into the second half. And then a few minutes later, they give away a penalty. In fairness, that's never a penalty in a million years. But the two goals after that were really Coventry at their finest, weren't they? Because they were just two wonderful goals, Justin. They they do things so so well, um, and that's and that's breaking lines so quickly. It's three or four passes, and they're in behind, um, and they're one of the best at it in the league. And that's and that's why you've got to admit that Coventry might have a chance here at getting in the top six. And there won't be a lot of Coventry fans that will that will push that to, that um, focus yet. Um, but you know, you get into October, November time, and you're in that top six still, and you're performing well still. Then there's a chance. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, Justin, because we're now 11 games in, essentially a quarter of the way through the season now, and they're sitting third. It's past the point where it is just a good start. So how genuine a contender do you think they are to finish in the top six? Well, if you look at Barnsley last season, they didn't go it. They didn't get going until around about now. And, then, and they're of a, a similar a guild of Barnsley where they don't have the resources similar top six teams do. Um, they've got to be a bit smart with their recruitment and they've got a very talented manager. Um, so to, for them to be, uh, must be around 17 points ahead of where Barnsley were at this point last season, um, game-wise anyway, then you've got to say that, that Coventry do have a chance. As you say, we're... we're we're a nice sort of portion uh, into the season now and Coventry sit tw- uh, on 22 points, three points off top. Um, it's it's a whirlwind and yeah, you have to start thinking about whether or not this Coventry side can, can be consistent enough to finish in the top six. The thing is, they're playing so well. It's not like they're, you know, just grabbing results for, and the performances have been matching it. They are, yeah. they, they are tearing other teams apart and with that, that's only good news for Cov. And if the, it, it's just maintaining the performances, really. And as the season goes on and injuries start coming into it, that may be a factor. But I see no reason why they can't be a top six team this season. Um, 
because they are just playing so well, as I say. Um, so yeah, I'm fully on board the Coventry to get in the top six bandwagon. And uh, long may it continue. Fulham, what have you got to say about them, Justin? I-, I was surprised at how poor they were. I think with the quality of players that they have, the collapse is just unacceptable. And a lot of Fulham fans, quite rightly, were unhappy. Um, it's all right it happening once um, in, a, in, a, in a sort of yeah, 10 or 11 games, but it's happened three times since the uh, since the international break, since the September international break. It's not good enough, and uh, I suppose Marcus Silva has got to really drill it into the players at that sort of level of performance. Can't happen again. There was a very ent- entertaining game on Friday night between Sexy Stoke and West Brom. Uh, we had comical own goals that were ruled out, missed penalties, but it eventually ended 1-0 to the Potters through a Nick Powell goal. It's the Albion's first loss of the season. Joining us now from the Baggies podcast is Louis Bent. And you've got to say, Stoke really deserved this win, didn't they, Louis? Yeah, I think Stoke deserving to win is a, is a little bit of an understatement, to be honest. They uh, completely outclassed us in this particular game. It could have been three, possibly even four nil with the chances and the obviously disallowed own goal and, and the penalty that was saved. You know, they could have had... Um, a couple more goals than they actually did, but I thought that we were, we were outclassed on the night. I think we got things uh, particularly wrong tactically, and I think Stoke got things ta- spot on tactically. We just never woke up throughout the game, despite the these wake-up calls that kept coming, the penalty save, the disallowed own goal. Things just never seemed to click, and we didn't seem to switch on at any point during the game. And, you know, you just... Even though Nick Powell's goal came relatively late on in the game, you know you you just you, you knew that a goal would have come, and if we would have got away with a point, it, it it would have been getting away with murder, in my opinion. So yeah, I think Stoke definitely deserved to win, and it was a very frustrating night for Albion. Yeah, you say it wasn't right tactically. What do you think Valerie and Ishmael should have done? Well, I think to start with, uh, Connor Townsend at centre back. He's been playing there since the injuries of Matt Clark and 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 Dara O'Shea, but we've had. Keen Bryan come into the club and, and he's a left-sided centre-back, somebody who I thought could slot into that position well. Townsend's not a centre-back, he's done as best as he can, made a few mistakes here and there, but he's certainly better in that wing-back position. I thought if Matt Clark's on the bench, perhaps he should come back into the side, but maybe that's something he's looking for after the international break. But I think Connor Townsend should have been switched into the left wing back position and perhaps bring in Keane Bryan. We need Townsend down that left hand side. And also in the middle of midfield, I think we were completely overrun by by, by the guys in the Stoke midfield. There were three of them, two of ours, and, and we didn't seem to stop that ball coming out from the back effectively enough to make sure that, that we can squeeze the midfield. And I, I, I just think we, we got things wrong in that perspective. And I think we should have probably played a three in midfield once we realised what was happening. Well, that's a very comprehensive answer, Louis. Um, just finally, there has been quite a bit of frustration from Albion fans directed towards Valerian Ishmael, hasn't there? Particularly towards the style of play. Do you think that frustration's fair? Yeah, there's been quite a few frustrations from, from Albion fans. I think um, the, the frustrations for that kind of reason about the style of play are a little unjust because... Uh, I, I don't mind watching most styles of football if it if it gets results. It's when it doesn't get results, and you know that that's when things start to go a bit pear shaped from the from the fans' perspective. But I was frustrated with him personally for different reasons. Uh, those three draws that we had against Millwall, Derby, and Preston, it was kind of I was frustrated with his unwillingness to to tinker things around, change things around, um, change things depending on opponent. Obviously, we played Millwall, and we were insistent on lumping long balls towards towards. Um, 
towards strikers that are no bigger than probably 5'10 against Millwall's 6'3, 6'4 centre-halves. And it was kind of that that really sparked me into thinking he's not willing to change his tactics. But he kind of did it against Cardiff, but against Stoke, it was it was a bit of uh, tactical naivety, I think, to not change the formation when we were getting so overrun in midfield. That's where my frustration lie. Thank you, Louis. Justin, it would be remiss of us not to start by discussing the best own goal ever. That was mercilessly took away from us. Donald Furlong's diving header from 20 yards out. Chef's kiss all over that. <laughs> but it was but it was ruled out for apparently a foul. However, I struggled to see how it was a foul. Nonetheless, though, Louis was bang on there, wasn't he? Sexy Stoke were clearly the better team. They were, and I think that's the, the frustrating thing from, from West Brom's perspective. Um, they were they were miles off it, but one game, one bad game in 11 is it's not a bad ratio, is it? This has probably been the, the first game this season where they haven't dominated their, their, op- their opposition. Um, and as I say, one in 11 is not bad. Um, Ishmael's got the international break to, to iron out any of those weaknesses that they showed against Stoke, and then they can go again. And it, it's, you know, it's a Friday night game, it's, it's a wet... <laughs> It's a cliche, but it's a wet and windy night um, away at Stoke City. Sake. And it's not, it's not quite, not quite the the same wet and windy night because obviously it's sexy Stoke now. Um, but it's an uncomfortable place to play in any conditions against any side in any style of football. So you know that that will play a part. But yeah, it was it was a poor performance. But I expect West Brom to to pick up quite quickly after the international break. Austin Pickles tweeted us asking, "Are Stoke so sexy?" that they're now doing proper adult movie stars out of a job. Well, Austin, I'd be inclined to agree because this really was Stoke at their sexiest, wasn't it, Justin? Yeah, this this narrative is is fantastic that's built over the last couple of weeks of, of sexy Stoke. We're getting to a point where, yeah, we're putting people out of jobs, or Stoke City are anyway. Um, yeah, it was it was sexy Stoke, and it's just summed up so nicely by the ball played by Tommy Smith and the, the sumptuous lob from Nick Powell. He's got no right to, to do that. And he makes it look so effortless. It's not fair, is it, that he's this six foot one footballer with the with the touch and uh, skill of um, I don't know. Trying to think of Shotnam Tenjaninio, although Borough fans might might pounce on me if I say that. Very random comparison. <laughs> I get your point. Um, the, the thing is with Stoke, or, or they play brilliantly here, but they they've changed things around again. They've got they let um, Joe Allen into the midfield, and uh, James Chester came to the team as well, and that is a sign of the amount of depth they've got. And as the season goes on, that's only going to stand them in good stead. And Martin Eagles has also tweeted us asking, who finishes second behind Stoke this season? Um, I won't go as far to say that, but I'll ask you the same question that I just asked you about Coventry uh, for Stoke, Justin. How genuine are their chances of getting into the top six? They're sitting fourth at the moment. I can't remember where we predicted them. Was it outside the top six? I think we we had... Uh, it may, they may have been t- sixth. Um, From memory, I think we had them seventh. I had them in the playoffs, but you had them just outside, I think. They've broke my heart for a couple of seasons. I think that's probably why. But this might be their year. Um, I think the only um, the only sort of uh, hesitance I'll have with it is they had the similar start last year, but they didn't have the squad depth. They didn't have key players to come back. When you look, when you talk about Sam Surridge, he's not got going yet, and they've got Tyrese Campbell to come back in. So they're winning games without having top performers performing at the very top, which is a very nice position to be in. I think it's credit to Michael O'Neill as well. 
um, that he's able to bring in the likes of Joe Allen and James Chessers. You know, they can switch systems and they can be a bit more defensive and organised and whatnot. So credit to Stoke overall. It's, yeah, very, very sexy. I'm really confident about Stoke getting into the top six as things stand because they're just looking solid in all areas. And as you say, they've got players to come back. Tyrese Campbell coming back is going to be like a new signing. It's going to be incredulous when he's actually back into the team. So there's only positive to say about Stoke. And I don't think you can necessarily rule out them challenging for the top two because of what I was just saying about the amount of depth they've got in the team as well. I don't think they're a million miles off the likes of, you know, Bournemouth, West Brom, Fulham. Um, It's just, you know, they've got the added extra of supremely talented players like, you know, your Mitrovic's and your Mowat's. But in terms of all-round squads, Stoke are a very good team. And they've got one of the best managers in the division, for my money, in Michael O'Neill, who's just a brilliant Mm -hmm. man-manager. It's just about maintaining this form. Easier said than done. And if they manage to keep, you know, turning over big teams like West Brom, then the sky's the limit for this Stoke side. It really is. They've got a good young squad mixed in with experienced players. All the ingredients are there. Um, and as we say, the, the addition of Tyrese Campbell could be the extra star power um, that puts them on the same kind of level as your Bournemouths, your Fulhams and West mm-hmm. Broms and what have you. Um, Halloween came early on Saturday for Bristol City at Peterborough. They were haunted by the ghost of Sammy Schmodix. He scored two against his old side, but the Robins put on a brave face and managed to win 3-2. But for Posh, it means they've only kept off the bottom of the table by Derby, who, of course, have had a points deduction. Let's start with the positives for Peterborough, Justin. Sammy Schmodix's first was pure delight, wasn't it? Beautifully struck. And he also mm-hmm. scored another. So his performance will give some encouragement to posh fans. Now the negatives. The rest of the performance wasn't very good, was it? <laughs> and I thought the scoreline, <laughs> the scoreline 3-2 has actually flattered them quite a bit here. Yeah, Bristol City were, were electric, weren't they? And Peterborough couldn't really get to grips. I think the, the main issue I've got looking at the, the team that they put out, there's just a real lack of championship uh, championship experience. When you look at Blackpool, for example, they, they brought in Richard Keogh, who has been there and done it at championship level. Um, and Peterborough didn't really make the same steps and their recruitment policy is fantastic but sometimes bringing in that extra um, extra bit of experience will help because there are games like this for example when Peterborough go 1-0 up um, uh, through the the Samish Modix uh, screamer to concede two goals quite quickly uh, in a short space of time is, is criminal it's not it's not good enough and um, yeah as you say that they, they have to improve um, because it's looking it's looking like a very bleak season ahead Yeah, I think if you're running Peterborough, then a decision's got to be made on Darren Ferguson's future because it goes back to what we were saying before. They've got a good squad, um, or at least one that I think is good enough to finish um, still outside the relegation zone in the championship this season. But the games that I've seen so far, there there are no signs there that Peterborough are improving at all for me, uh, despite this scoreline. and it's just not looking good, I think is what I'm trying to say. Um, so I, I think he's one of a number of managers this season in the international break who could be worrying about his future. Would you yeah. agree with that? No, quite right. I think you made a good point that they're not improving. If you look at defensively, um, they're losing out of midfield and going forward to not scoring enough, although they did score two here. And even the goalkeeper situation with the fallout of Christy Pym. 
every department is suffering at the moment and that's where you've got to start to ask questions um, uh, of the manager and the coaching staff. Mm. One last thing I'll say on Peterborough, they've got a player called Connor Coventry. If he doesn't play for Coventry at some point in his career, I will be very, very disappointed. (laughs) But we can't move on without praising Bristol City, who put in what I would call their best performance of the season so far. Yeah, they went 1-0 behind again quite early on um, at that point especially the Bristol City of old last season, they could have they could have sunk without a trace. Um, but this the, the character of this side that, that's been developed by Nigel Pearson, and I've backed Nigel Pearson all the way, by the way. I've, 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 I've rode that train from start to finish. I'm a big fan of him, even though he wasn't there. Um, but he did have a conversation with the senior players, which got a little bit more out of them. Um, I think Chris Martin said that in the post-match uh, press. But they've got so much flexibility and fluidity. They can play a variety of systems. They've got you know, the likes of Joe Williams, who was brilliant in this game, by the way, in pretty rough conditions. His good work led to the goal. You know, the, I don't think the league's ready for a, a midfield of him, Matty James, and Masenga. Um, it's going to be they've got they've got gears to go through, which is exciting. But the only again the worry is we said this um, last season, didn't we, uh, under Dean Holden? We've said it quite a few times with Bristol yeah. City <laughs> since we've been doing this podcast. It seems to happen quite a lot where they start quite well and then uh, tail off. Um, they're still a bit of a streaky side, aren't they, in terms of yeah. how their form goes. So we won't get carried away too much yet. But it is worth pointing out they've got the best away record in the league, Justin, which is incredulous because, as we keep saying, they haven't won at home <laughs> since January. So if they had that home form, then who knows where Bristol City would be right now. But mm. uh, nonetheless, let's give them some praise where it's due. Right, let's have a break, Justin. After that, we'll talk about a big win for Bournemouth and also another big win for Forest. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Bournemouth are back on top of the championship and three points clear of second after beating Sheffield United 2-1. This was the first time Bournemouth had been behind in a game so far this season, Justin. And Scott Parker said what pleased him the most was how they reacted to being a goal down because even when they were a goal down, Justin, they still looked like they had the full belief that they could come out with three points from this game. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that Park has transformed. Um, yeah, I think if you go back to the uh, playoff semi-final uh, against Brentford, where they just lost the plot, didn't they? Bournemouth, they they collapsed so quickly, um, the red card and whatnot, and that sort of mentality change is very hard to do, especially in a team that is that is going to be low on confidence after a, pre- a pretty rough, pretty rough season where they didn't deliver. Um, so yeah, what what Park has got out of them in a short space of time as well. It was a late appointment, wasn't he? Um, after after he left Fulham, so yeah, what he's got out of them, and he started to develop a starting eleven that he's trust that he's trusting now. The likes of Jaden Anthony in the side, Billing, um, Pearson, and Lerma is that sitting sitting two midfielders. It's looking really really good, and they were the better side here against Sheffield United. Well, that midfield of Billing, Lerma, and Pearson, you'll do well to find a midfield which is as all action as that because yeah. you've got all three players who are you know physical in your face but at the same time extremely talented on the ball and that's one of the reasons why Bournemouth are sitting top of the championship at, at the moment and the rest of the team isn't doing too badly either you've got Dom Solanke who's probably in the best form of his career you've you've got to say because he, he's 
gone a bit under the radar in how well he's been playing, not just in terms of in front of goal, but also his contribution to the actual play. Uh, Jaden Anthony, we've been waxing lyrical about. And the crazy thing is the amount of depth they've got as well, because David Brooks was just left on the bench for this game. And he's probably one of, if not the most talented players in the division. Uh, So, yeah, uh, nothing but praise for Bournemouth. Uh, Going back to the actual game, I think we've got to talk about the penalty, Justin, which was a bit controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, Dom Slanky was brought down, and it looked like he was outside the box, but I've heard people say, by the letter of the law, it actually is a penalty because the contact continued into the box, which is not something I was aware of before, I've got to say. Yeah. Not the case, I, I'd still be a bit annoyed if I was Slavisi Jokanovic. Yeah, you, you would be, and um, he's got every right to be frustrated. It's bit of a strange law that if the contact carries on, even though it started outside the area, it's like if you pull a shirt, if you pull a shirt outside the area and it carries on into the area, the free it's then given as a free kick, isn't it? So, Well, I, I really don't know. Sure. If you start pulling a shirt on the halfway line and continue to pull the shirt all the way into the penalty box, does that mean that's a penalty? If it is, it's not, is it? It can't be. I have never heard of this law before. In the 27 years that I've been watching football now. So, yeah, really weird one. Nonetheless, that's not a waste too much time talking about that. Uh, it was a fairly even game, actually, wasn't it? Sheffield United probably should have equalised right at the death because Lise Mousse was. He's managed to head the ball against the bar when he was virtually under the bar. Um, and there was a few other chances mm. that Sheffield United squandered as well. But Bournemouth, the only team still unbeaten in the whole of the Football League. So, yeah, the only team yet to blink this season, Justin. Looking. <laughs> Pretty decent for the money as well, staying at the top. Uh, but despite it being another loss for Sheffield United, two in a row now, I can see plenty of positives. And I actually thought that this was more of a positive performance than their last two games. Would you agree? I, yeah, no, I, I would agree. I thought the the Derby game, it was a poor performance. And then they were, they were probably at a similar level against Borough in their defeat to Borough in midweek. They created more here. I thought Olsen was the busier of the two keepers, but... They did create chances and going back to that Mousse chance, I think he was right under the bar. So it'd be quite quite unfair to to criticise him for missing. But they're still creating more chances than they did before the international break. They've just got to polish up because back-to-back defeats is, is not where they need to be. They need to be getting results and going forward. Have you noticed Billy Sharp's new name? Every time he's mentioned by a commentator nowadays, he's always 35-year-old Billy Sharp. Commentators just seem intent on pointing out how old he is at every single opportunity, <laughs> um, which I'm sure he really appreciates. Steve Cooper has turned things right around at Forest, hasn't he? They beat Birmingham 3-0. Um, Got to be said, though, this is one of those games, Justin, where it doesn't really tell the full story because <laughs> Birmingham missed some bloody good chances, didn't they? How often have we said that over the past few weeks, though? They're creating chances, but they're not putting them away, and that's really frustrating. That was a point I was going to make later on. Uh, We will talk about that in a sec, Justin. Let's uh, talk about the actual game as a whole. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a player be given as much time as Lewis Graben was for his goal. Let's not take anything away from the strike. Wonderful strike, but my oh my, were Birmingham's defenders urging him to shoot. It was... Very, very odd. Uh, but NFFC Luke tweeted us asking, is Lewis Graben back to his best? It's a good question, isn't it? I think if, if if he's got supply, then yes. And the confidence to take that shot on from where he did. Bearing in mind that he doesn't score many goals from outside the area. That might have been in the Birmingham City's uh, 
defenders thinking there. Um, but I mean, you, you give a player of his talent time to shoot, he's gonna he's gonna score. If you give him space in the area, he's gonna score. So it's just making sure he's got a constant supply of chances because that's where he's at his best. So I think he could be. He could be more more goals in the next few weeks, and uh, I, I would agree with it. I think he's a bit of a confidence player, isn't he? And he hasn't had much confidence now for what a year or two, um, mm. at least a year and a half. Um, but if he gets back to it now, then you've got one of the most consistent goal scorers the championship has ever seen because he, he's managed yeah. to get double figures pretty much his whole championship career. Um, and if that happens, then you've got yourself a, well, a really, really good striker. He changed the game um, in midweek against mm-hmm. Barnsley. Um, and then he's come here and has led Forrest to this 3-0 victory. So hopefully he is back to his best. And if that happens, you've got a front three of Graben, Johnson and Zinkenagel, which is a bloody good front three at this level. So 10 points from a possible 12 since Chris Hewton was sacked. Happens all the time, doesn't it? As soon as you sack a manager, <laughs> the players start playing. One point from five games for Blues. Their good form at the start of the season has turned on its head very quickly but as you were quite rightly saying Justin they're another team who have suffered a bit from the Luton syndrome recently where despite results not necessarily going their way they have actually been playing all right they've failed to score in their last four games but have won three of those games on expected goals so it's very odd I think it's a very simple statement to make but it's just about putting away chances which is the clear issue however you have got to point fingers at the defence as well because 12 goals conceded in five games is obviously not very good either, especially when they were looking so solid just before the international break. So I, I suppose a summary of what I'm trying to say is it's fine margins with Blues and I don't think it's a case of going to the panic stations just yet. No, you, you, you're pointing the fingers at the forwards because if they are getting chances to put away or, or any player really and they're not putting them away, then... Yeah, it, it's frustrating, and that's what's that's what is uh, letting the side down at the moment. Conceding soft goals as well is is disappointing as well because they're a side who work very ruthless defensively. Um, I think going back to that Derby win where they did not allow Derby any opportunity to break in behind, and it, they've not hit that level yet um, or hit that level since, which is why they've been losing games. Yeah, speaking of panic stations, uh, that that can't be said about another team wearing blue. <laughs> Cardiff City, who lost again, this time 1-0 to Reading. Cardiff had 27 shots to Reading's two. Ridiculous stat. But at the same time, upon a second viewing of this game, it's difficult to argue too many of those shots were actually golden chances, Justin. They, they've got a lot of players who are willing to, to shoot from, from afar, haven't they? And like you said, they weren't necessarily golden chances and they're suffering creatively because they don't have creative sparks in the side. It's, it's a very simple statement to make. That is the issue Cardiff have at the moment. Um, and they will continue to have that issue until they can bring players in or unlock some quality uh, within their squad. Because, as you say, you create 27 shots, but were they actually 27 good chances? No, they weren't. They were OK. They were fine. Yeah, the best chance was Aidan Flint to was a bit like a drunk giraffe with his shot. He was falling over, arse over backwards while he was having it. So, um, But that, that was the closest they came. And I, I, even though they did hit the post from a wayward cross, um, that was the closest they came. And as I say, I don't think any of those shots were necessarily big chances. But prior to this game, Cardiff had been abysmal in their last two. But this was a lot better. Still a loss, though. And 
I've got to say, I would be surprised if we came out the other side of the international break, Justin, with Mick McCarthy still in charge of Cardiff City. Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, it would be a surprise. I just sympathise with him because we've been banging the same drum. They lost a lot of talent in the summer, didn't bring that talent back in. There seems to be some sort of, I don't know, transfer strategy shift in the sort, which is fine, but you've got to back the manager and give him the um, the tools to, to do his job. And, and he hasn't had that. So that's where I sympathise. Um, whoever the next appointment is, it's got to be the, it's got to be an appointment for the next two or three years if McCarthy is sacked because there has to be, they have to re- re- reaffirm what they want to achieve in the next few years because that Premier League legacy is now gone. Um, they don't have parachute payments anymore or the same quality of player that they had then. The difficulty is for whoever does come in is the players they've got are only suited to one style of play. For yeah. example, if you wanted, if you looked at the situation now and thought, right, the you know the long ball direct style isn't working, and we want to try something different, you can't really do that with the players you've got because there's very little creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't many. I think Ryan Giles is the only natural winger that's coming to mind that they've got at the club and then you've got defenders who aren't you know ball playing defenders really so mm. the only managers they can bring in are ones who are suited to playing long ball really so yeah. they've because of how they've played with the last three managers they've had now Warnock, Harris and McCarthy they've kind of tied the hands behind their own back and if they do set McCarthy then it seems like they can only go down one route with his potential replacement. Um, so interesting where they go next. But quickly on Reading, you'll struggle to find too many occasions this season, Justin, where it's difficult to praise a side who have won a game. But this is one of those occasions for me. You, you take it, don't you? You take it all day. And it's I didn't know Junior Hoylet's name was David, by the way. David Junior. Uh, I don't know. He should be called DJ Hoylet, which is a shame. It uh, feels like an opportunity lost to call him DJ. Um, and that's all I can really take from the game because, as you say, Reading weren't necessarily great from their perspective. Um, but they would. They won 1-0. They bounced back from a, a relatively drab performance against Derby midweek and they go into the international break uh, with a win and a clean sheet. I'm glad that's the only thing you took away from this game. Um, <laughs> quick one, actually, because we've got a bit of time. Mike Stagg tweeted us asking, what do Reading do with George Puskas, considering we don't play to his strengths, but we don't have any other options because of injuries? He only had 14 touches in this game, Justin. How do you solve the George Puskas quandary? He was pretty absent against Derby as well, um, which is why he got taken off. Uh, the, the young lad Clark came on and was much better, and uh, I think he was in this game as well. It's a weird quandary, isn't it? Um, I think you sell up, maybe take a loss on him because he's only really he's just failed to convince throughout his whole time, and we're in we're I think we're in another Sam Baldock position where he's got a big contract for a long period of time, and you don't want him to just be sat there. Um, so yeah, I think you just try try and get him off the books as soon as possible and replace if if you can. Yeah, I'm not sure he's actually that good. Um, <laughs> okay. I think he, he he scored a decent amount of goals in his time as a championship striker, but considering the amount of money that I'm going to guess he's on and the fee that Reading paid for him, mm-hmm. it's you know not even close to paying that back, is it? So matching those two together, it's just 
yeah, I, I don't think he's anywhere near as good as people were expecting. The only time we've ever seen a bright spark from him was really his debut, which yeah. was ironically against Cardiff uh, all that time ago where he took on half the team. And apart from that, I haven't really seen anything else from him to say this guy is a good championship striker. So uh, they haven't got any other options at the moment. And I'm not sure if it is a case of playing to his strengths because a good striker would be able to adapt and play to how the manager wants him to play. Um, so I don't know where you go here with George Puskas. As you say, the, the lad Clark who has been playing looks much sharper than he does. So you may as well give a young lad a chance instead of Puskas because it's clearly not working with him. Um, moving on, there was a brilliant game at the Cayenne Prince. QPR 3, Preston 2. Very entertaining with the highlight being Lyndon Dykes's pass, heading the ball to a teammate while the ball was on the ground and it eventually led to Elias Chair scoring. Um, that was fantastic. Uh, the first goal was also very weird because everyone just mm -hmm. seemed to stop and then Lyndon Dykes toe-pokes it into the goal. Um, Greg Sangwine tweeted us asking, was Frankie McAvoy correct by saying Preston were actually the better team and deserved the win? Justin. I hate being put on the spot with these sorts of questions, but I mean they were they were two one up, weren't they? Um, so you can argue that they threw the game away, but you're going away to to QPR. You've they're always going to attack. They're always going to be down your neck, and if you can't manage that in the game, then do you deserve to come away with a win? Um, yeah, I don't I don't think you do. So I think on the basis of that, probably not. But then again. It's, it's, a, it's a hard one to take because Preston have been so solid of late um, and unfortunately they weren't here against QPR so I think QPR well deserve uh, deserve the win Yeah I, I think QPR probably just edged it but both teams I, I think more than capable of saying that they could have got the three points here or deserved yeah. the three points so it, it was one of those back-to-back end-to-end kind of games really and uh, great to watch as a neutral probably <laughs> not for anyone who is a fan of either team uh, but QPR two wins from two good news for them because they were hitting a bit of a sticky patch weren't they they were and they've got players coming back into form Elias Chair got a bit of sticker a few weeks ago when they went through that sticky patch um, but he's he's starting to answer those critics now and uh, I think you said uh, in the last in the last episode we did that he's he's was not poor but he's not really hit the heights so far this season um but i think he's starting to show that now um quite funny that it's coming like two of the worst conditions possible where it's just wet weather not very nice not very good for a playmaker but he's showing that um that he is good and, uh, and as you say with with qpr i still want them to have a lot more control in games like i'm sure fans will want that because it's just far too stressful and if they did have that control in games there would they would be a lot more convincing in in these wins so yeah it's um it's a good win and uh, a good way to build, for sure. Lord heavens above. Hull actually won a game. They beat Middlesbrough 2-0. Uh, actually, my two highlights of the weekend came in this match. Curtis Nelson's own goal from midweek has already got a rival for best own goal of the season. This time, Joe Lumley with the ball hitting the post and then hitting him square in the face. And then it goes in. An old classic, but completely timeless. And then the other comedy moment was something I've never seen before, but... Paddy McNair hits a sweet free kick into the top corner from 25 yards out. But the referee rules it out because there's a Middlesbrough player in the wall, which, of course, you're not allowed to do anymore. So he retakes it and blasts it into Rosette. Marvellous. Uh, but Hall possibly a bit lucky, but a massive relief for Grant McCann. 
they'll, they'll take it all day, won't they? It, it, it's quite funny that their last uh, last win in the championship came against Borough as well. Um, so there's a a nice a nice circle there. It's gone all the way around. Um, but they 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 didn't play brilliantly. They, I think Borough were the better side, but you've got to take the positives. For example, Josh Emmanuel coming in at right wing back was was fantastic in this game, um, given that Louis Coyle's arguably arguably been uh, Hull City's most consistent performer this season. So. That there, are, there are certainly positives, and Malik Wilkes getting on the score sheet as well with a very well-taken goal, by the way, um, I think is, is another positive because if he gets scoring, then oh, we've certainly got a chance of getting getting away from the relegation zone because they've missed that bit of pizzazz up front that sort of like Wilkes brings. So um, not the best performance, but doesn't matter. doesn't matter. It's a first win uh, yeah. since, since opening day. Spot on. I think compared to what we were just saying about Peterborough earlier, there are signs of... You know, life in this whole team compared to mm-hmm. Peterborough. Just comparing them because they've both been promoted together. But compared to Peterborough, who I'm not seeing many signs of life at all. But with Hull, there are you know glimpses of what they could be this season. Uh, Neil Warnock after the game said, "I can't do any more with this squad," which is not what you want to hear as a fan. Uh, Matt Rowney on Twitter asks, "Is he out of excuses, and is it time to go?" I did see someone tweet a list of uh, Warnock excuses, which. I think usually means he's out of excuses. Um, I think, again, I sympathise with him because they had a lot of chances in this game and the players didn't take them. But then again, you've got to look at recruitment if you've not brought the right player in. I like it, Piazzu, for example, but is he a clinical goal scorer? He isn't. He had clinical goal scorers last season in, in Ashley Fletcher and Britta Sombolonga. Obviously, Fletcher was injured and Sombolonga never got going. Um, so it's what what can we what can Neil Warnock get out of, out of those players? Um, and if he's not getting the best out of them, then... Maybe you do look to change, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think he is out of excuses. It looked like it changed in midweek, and we're back to square one with this defeat. There was a disappointing result for Millwall in their pursuit of the draw record. They won one nil against Barnsley thanks to Murray Wallace. Two wins in two, Justin. Very frustrating for Gary Rower. You're not going to get the draw record with these kind of results, are you? Yes. Uh, it's frustrating. I don't think Millwall fans will find it frustrating because actually no, because it gives them a glimpse of the playoffs. And uh, you know, like I think we've said before that if if they're not going to get into the playoffs, then at least go for a draw record. Um, but they're all beating in seven now, which is uh, yeah, I think it's gone on the radar. Maybe because we've been focusing too much on the draws, but they're proving a very hard side to beat at the moment. Yeah, you, well, you say unbeaten in seven. How many draws are in there? <laughs> Quite a few. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, Barnsley clearly second best for much of this game and you know how before I was saying Barnsley are on my concern watch list they're now whatever the next stage is where I'm just not sure Barnsley are any good Um, (laughs) (laughs) the thing is I I don't know what Marcus Shop is trying to do because last season they had a clear identity of what they were trying to do you know pressing constant high tempo football and sure, they've lost Mowat, they've lost DK, but you've still got the foundations of that squad here, but they're just not doing anything and are looking really, really poor. So I, I don't get what Marcus Shop is trying to do. What is the identity of Barnsley at the moment? Why are they playing so poorly? They've only got one win so far this season, the only team in the division to have won just one game. And I they're another team who I don't see many positive signs of life from. And it's getting to the point now where, of course, 
you've got to have this time when it's a new manager for you know a transition period. But Barnsley look like they could get cut adrift because they're playing so poor. I don't see any signs of life, and I don't see a result on the around the corner at any point. Um, so very concerned about them. They're amongst alongside Peterborough, probably the two teams I'm most concerned about at the moment. That's easy to say, considering yeah. they're both in the relegation zone at the moment, but they're just playing bad as well. And that's not a good mix to have when you're not getting results and you're playing really, really poorly. Uh, final game of the weekend was Derby nil, Swansea nil. Swansea had 76% possession, um, but didn't really manage to convert that into any good um, and that's a common theme with Swansea this season mm-hmm. it's time for Who Knows Wins this is the app where you chuck in a few quid to enter a league and whoever correctly predicts the most result wins the pot uh, in our championship league this weekend the win pot was £300 Justin who won? So the winner was Harvey CC with 8 correct results well done, Harvey CC. I, I tell you what, being the only person to win the win part, I think that's the first time that's happened this season. So it takes a mighty effort and eight correct results, especially with some of the results this weekend, is yeah. not a bad effort at all. So well done, Harvey CC. He has won the majority of the win part on Who Knows Wins this week. Um, we've got an international break coming up this weekend, Justin, so we won't go through all the games for the next game week um we'll do that in next week's episode but you can still download the who knows wins app now and join many other leagues if you want to keep track of when our league is out you can use the code second and then we'll let you enter our league when it comes out it's only three pounds to enter and you can win big prizes now it's time for this Yes, it's time for the news. And we'll start off... Where where else are we going to start? We'll start off with Derby. Uh, 20 people have lost their jobs as Derby uh, begin cutting costs. It comes despite administrators hoping short-term funding will be in place next week. The good news is for staff that there are going to be no more job losses. Well, at least it's it's expected there'll be no more job losses. So that's a positive. Uh, Moving on to stuff that isn't so positive. The Telegraph is reporting Derby still owe Arsenal £8 million for Christian Bielik. Meanwhile, the administrators are said to be confident of finding a buyer and trying to reduce the expected nine-point deduction. Um, Justin, a lot to take in there. We'll start off with the Bielik situation. Um, now, Morris, again, <laughs> why do you do this? Um, I think I've got two two issues with this story. I think one is this transfer fee is it's going to be paid in instalments anyway, so it's a bit of an on-starter. Derby Willow... Arsenal, I think the the administrators have just issued assurances that they will get paid, which is a good thing because that means they're confident of finding a buyer. The second thing is, I still don't understand why Mel Morris paid that much money for Christian Bielik, even though he said weeks after that he's putting the club up for sale. doesn't make sense. It's Mel Morris in a nutshell. bit weird. The nine-point deduction, that could potentially be reduced. Um, Exciting. I'm not getting my hopes up. I'm just, I'm, I'm going with the worst possible case scenario because if it happens, if anything improves, then it's a bonus and I might actually smile. I mean, a, a six-point deduction, that's 18 points. It's still a big old a hurdle to try and get across, isn't it? Um, I mean, Derby still going very well at the moment. Um, if they can reduce that 
points deduction by anything at all, um, then it gives the players more hope. Speaking of that, Derby assistant coach Liam Vecinia says they're using a different league table, which has them without the points deduction. Of course, without it, they'd be in the top half, which is an interesting tactic, Justin. But I, I like the positivity around the place. You know me, I'm a pessimist and I don't usually get on board with this sort of thing, but I actually can because, as you say, Derby, without the points deduction, would be mid-table and it's not the players' fault they've got a points deduction. So, yeah, fair enough. I just hope that, you know, if Derby do get ready to get in at the end of the season, that they don't think they've they've stayed up. I think they, I hope they use the right one at the end of the season. Yes, good point. <laughs> um, a football fan who racially abused Stoke and former West Brom midfielder Romain Sawyers on social media has been jailed for eight weeks. 50-year-old Simon Silwood claimed his message had been auto-corrected, but that was dismissed at a court. I believe, not 100% sure, but I believe this is the first time a supporter has been jailed for racially abusing a player online. And I'll tell you what, Justin, if it discourages people from sending racist abuse online, then I'm all for this kind of thing happening more often. It doesn't fix the overall issue that people are racist, which is genuinely a societal thing. Not going to get into uh, sociology uh, at this at this time, um, but more needs to be done. And if this if this is one parameter that stops that, then fine. Police in Coventry say they're investigating two incidents of racist abuse in the game against Fulham. One was directed towards a Fulham supporter, then the other is following a video which is doing the rounds on social media. Luton have condemned offensive and inappropriate chants sung at games after receiving a number of complaints. The songs are said to contain racist and homophobic lyrics. A club statement reaffirmed its commitment to an inclusive approach to make matches a positive experience for its diverse fan base. Uh, Let's finish off with something a bit more encouraging, Justin. And it's that time again where the England squad is out. Can you guess how many of the 23-man squad have played in the EFL at some point in their careers? Just going to throw a number out because I'm not actually seeing the England squad. Uh, I'm going to say 19. 19? Uh, You're not far off. 17. Uh, 17 players have played in the Football League at some point in their careers and once again just shows how valuable the Football League is to England as a whole. Now it's time for the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get your opinions, guys. The first question was this. Which manager deserves to be sacked the most over at the international break? Darren Ferguson, Marcus Shop, Mick McCarthy, Neil Warnock. Which way are you going, Justin? I would say shop maybe because of the situation Barnsley find themselves in at the moment in the bottom three and with absolutely no joy going forward whatsoever. I would go Darren Ferguson, you know, just because mm. I, I think his record at championship level is crap and Peterborough are playing <laughs> yeah. and Peterborough are playing crap. Uh, Mick McCarthy won the poll. He got 54%. Marcus Shop was second with 20%. Neil Warnock, 19%. Dan Ferguson only got 7% and I feel like he's got away with that. Uh, who will finish higher this season? Coventry or Stoke? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I'd say Stoke based on their squad depth. Um, but I'll, yeah, it's a difficult one. I would also go Stoke. 66% said Stoke. 34% said Coventry. And finally, who should be the next James Bond? Tom Hardy, James Norton, Idris Elba or somebody else? Neil Warnock. If he's going to be out of a job with Borough, then why not? 
you make a very good point. Uh, 40% of people said Tom Hardy. 32% said Idris Elba. 24% said somebody else. We've had some suggestions, Justin. Cillian Murphy. Yeah, all right. Okay. Uh, Neil Warnock. There you go. Incredible. Jonathan Mudgate. Um, <laughs> Lyndon Dykes. Uh, okay. Daniel Kaluuya. Um, okay. okay. That's, that's a very good shout. Uh, somebody suggested me. Do you think I'd be a good James Bond? Um, you flinch at anything, so absolutely not. <laughs> that, is, that is a slanderous comment, which I do not appreciate at all. Um, it'll be interesting because whoever I shoot when I'm, you know, the next 007, people will just claim I've got an agenda against them. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure that'll go very well. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Ryan Hildred from Rovers Chat and Brady Frost from Andy Takes That Chance. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. And all they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I would say name eight of Benicophobie's last clubs and Ryan would say Wolves, that's one down. And Brady would say Bournemouth, that's another down. Well, if Justin would say Weymouth, then he'd be out. I don't know why I keep going with Weymouth. Uh, <laughs> what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated so justin can you name a player who's played for both blackburn and huddersfield uh, <laughs> um oh christ that's I'm right already... jordan rhodes he's the only striker to have moved to a championship club for more than nine million pounds three times there are eight other strikers who have moved to a championship club for more than nine million pounds can you name them I'll go over that again quickly. So you're looking for eight strikers who are not Jordan Rhodes, who have moved to a championship club for more than nine million pounds. Um, we'll start off with you, Ryan. Can you name me a championship striker who has cost more than nine million pounds? This is tough. Mm, it is this tough. This is really tough. I know someone who's moved for more than nine million, but he's not a striker. I'm gonna <laughs> That's have... not good. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh, I'm racking my brains now. Um, to be fair, looking at the strikers in front of me, you could just name any like well-established championship striker from the last five years. Well-established striker. I'm going to just have to say someone like Mitrovic, Alexander Mitrovic. I'll tell you what, you're not far off, but Alexander Mitrovic is not correct because <laughs> I believe he was on loan at Fulham. And then when they signed him, he was in the Premier League. So unlucky. Uh, Ryan's out, which is not a good start because you've still no, got eight not a to good go. Start. Uh, Brady, we'll go to you next. Can you name me a championship striker who has moved to a championship club for nine million pounds or more? We don't deal with this money. We, you know, when you talk about Huddersfield, <laughs> so I'm not used to it. Um, I have a, I, I have no idea. This is a bit of a stand in the dark, but I feel like Benicophobi might be one. Stoke to Wolves, was that right? You're absolutely correct. Benicophobi went to Stoke for 12 million in 2018 in a transfer which didn't go very well. Actually, none of these transfers really worked out too well, particularly. Uh, Justin, your go. You've got seven left. I've had one in my head. Uh, it's Brit Sombalonga. Yes, Brit Sombalonga is the most expensive championship striker ever. Middlesbrough paid £15 million for him in 2017. Uh, Brady, back to you. I'm just going to name a striker. I know Charlie Austin. 
No, but unlucky. That is a good shout, but Charlie Austin is not correct. A professional host would have got the figures for Charlie Austin in front of it, but I don't. Um, so, Justin, you're the last man standing in this incredibly tough Simon Grayson take for late. You've got six to go. For over £9 million? Yes. How far, how far back are we going? The earliest one is 2015. Oh, God, that's when everyone was throwing money around. Um, Matai Vidra. That's incorrect, but not a bad shout because he went to Derby for eight million, mm. I believe. So you were just a million pounds off. So, yeah, that, that was a particularly hateful Simon Grayson's hateful eight chaps. I apologise for Simon Grayson's hatefulness this week. Uh, the players you were looking for were Ross McCormack. He's the only other striker oh, to have moved to a championship club twice for more than nine million pounds, having gone to Fulham and Villa. Jonathan Codger. Went to Villa for 11 million in 2016. Andre Gray moved to Burnley for 11 million in 2015. Dwight Gale went to Newcastle for 10 million in 2016. Martin Braithwaite, uh, the Barcelona superstar, joined Middlesbrough for 10 million in 2017. And Scott Hogan went to Villa for 9 million in 2016. If you just name average championship strikers, you won't have been too far off in the end. But uh, not a good showing for you guys there, but it was a particularly tricky question. So unlucky, I think is what I'll say. Uh, that brings us to the end of the second tier podcast this week. Thank you for listening wherever you are. I'm going to give a quick thank you to our guests on the show this week. We've got Ryan Hildred from Rovers Chat. Thank you for your time today. No, thanks for having me on and uh, have a good rest of the day, both of you. Thank you for that. Brady Frost from the Huddersfield podcast, and he takes that chance. Thank you for your time today. No, thanks for having me on. If you do have me back, can we have a better better quiz then? That was tough, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and that's why I don't throwing bombs. <laughs> well, on that note, this has been the second tier podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. We'll be back again next Sunday because it's international break. We'll